let's pray together and then we'll dive into God's word and our message today. Daddy, uh, you are near us. And it's not just because we came here to this building together to gather. You're, you're always near us. And you're worthy of our whole lives. And we, we all come here today with uh, different, <laughs> in different places and feeling different things and and you can handle all of it we could all pour out our hearts to you right now and you would just embrace us and welcome it not be overwhelmed at all so we pray now as we open your word uh, we would open ourselves to you and not come to you with defenses or pretenses um, but we would learn from you how to worship this morning in spirit and truth and that we would continue that worship as we as we leave this place and live the lives that you've called us to lead amen Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. This is a phrase we're all familiar with, one mostly used by children or introduced to children, and it's a promise or a statement to emphasize how serious we are about being honest, telling the truth. It's kind of packaged in this cutesy little rhyme, but it really is a sad message uh, because at a young age, children are subtly being taught there's wiggle room to say as to whether or not what we say is true or false. So, so I've never heard the long version till this week, but here's the long version. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Wait a moment, I spoke a lie. I never really wanted to die. But if I may and if I might, my heart is open for tonight. Though my lips are sealed and a promise is true, I won't break my word, my word to you. Cross my heart. Hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. A secret's a secret, my word is forever. I will tell no one about your cruel endeavor. You, you claim no pain, but I see right through your words and everything you do. Teary eyes, broken heart, life has torn you apart. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I loved you then, I love you now. I'll still love you, though I'll break my vow. I can't hold this secret any longer. It's hurting you, not making you stronger. You're my friend, so I'll risk your respect by hurting you I can protect. I'll save yourself since you will not. You may hate me, but I'll give it a shot. I'm willing to risk our bond that we own. So long as you're safe, you won't be alone. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Break my promise. Tell a lie. Save my friend, though maybe it's goodbye. So if you didn't catch what happened... The long version, the, sh the short version of the long version is this. Someone is making extra assurances on their promise and they end up not keeping that promise. They find a way to justify not keeping their word. And that is exactly the problem 
that Jesus addresses in our passage today as he continues his brilliant teaching, which we've been studying and we, ha- we know as the Sermon on the Mount. So this is, I'll, I'll read our passage today out of Matthew 5, beginning in verse 33. Jesus says, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So I highly doubt that anyone here has made this kind of oath recently, swearing by heaven, by earth, or by Jerusalem. In fact, if you've ever sworn by Jerusalem, uh, find me after the service because I don't think I've ever met anyone like you. And I love meeting new kinds of people. So um, it's, it's slightly more likely, you know, that someone has sworn by their own head something to the effect of on my life. You know, but even then, like how often, you know, when was the last time that you did that? Probably not too recently. And so if that's all Jesus means, uh, we're good to go today, right? Um, you're not dismissed yet, so sorry to get your hopes up. It's, it's that type, though, of literal understanding that was the misunderstanding that Jesus is confronting in this text the misunderstanding of what does it mean to obey God? What does it mean to obey his law? The letter of the law or the spirit of the lawgiver? What, is, what, what does Jesus mean when, he, when he's seeking obedience? What kind of obedience is he seeking? So we're going to back up just a little bit. In order to understand this passage, I want to remind us of the context. Um, Jesus started this sermon just to remind us, it was probably, uh, well, it was, it was in the February that we started Matthew, and it was a few weeks ago that we started uh, the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount by saying that those in the kingdom are blessed, even if you're poor in spirit, even if you're meek, you know, and kind of get trampled on. If you're persecuted, no matter what you're going through, if you're in the kingdom as his disciple, you're the one, you are the one who's truly well off, both in this life and the life to come. You're the blessed one. And he goes on to say, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Then he makes this statement, kind of transitional statement, says, don't think that I've come to do away with the old, the old, the old covenant. Don't, don't think I've come to do away with the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, Jesus says, but to fulfill them. And then when Jesus describes his relationship to the law, that's, it's, it's not some random comment he makes. That statement is paramount. It's, it's so important to understanding where we're at right now in the sermon, that he is fulfilling the law. Because the hearers were thinking, well, Jesus is doing something new. No one's ever said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is something new. But Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm fulfilling the intent of the old law, the law that you had and your ancestors and their ancestors had. 
And Jesus is also teaching others to do the same thing. So, he's focusing on the meaning. He's focusing on the intent, not the rule itself. So let's think of some of the examples that Jesus has given so far. If you think you're keeping the law by not murdering, the intent is that you don't have murder in your heart. That type of anger that moves people towards murder. Or if you think you're keeping the law by not committing adultery, you failed to realize that the intent of God's law is that you wouldn't even want adultery if you were in the position that you could commit adultery. You would not let adultery and, and, and the desire for it have any place in your inner being. Last week, we also looked at divorce. And rather than looking at divorce by, well, there's a right way to do divorce and there's a wrong way to do divorce, you would realize that divorce is never God's intention for marriage. God's intention for marriage is goodness. And it's only because our hearts are so hard, so sinful, that divorce is even an option. And so Jesus, like, he repeatedly throughout his ministry, he gets in trouble. You ever realize how much trouble Jesus gets in during his time? Because he's not following the rules to a T like the religious leaders thought the rules should be followed. They think Jesus is kind of skimping on the details. But remember, Jesus said, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen. None of the small details will by any means go anywhere until everything is accomplished. That was earlier in Matthew 5. So, so they think Jesus is skimping on the details. They think he's smudging the law, that he's doing something new. But he's not. Look at the ways Jesus gets into trouble. He touches unclean people. The law says don't touch the sick, don't touch the dead, don't do that. The law says don't heal on the Sabbath. Don't do any work on the Sabbath. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. The law actually didn't say don't heal. It says don't do any work. And so Jesus isn't a rebel, but he's following the point of the law. He's fulfilling the intention of the law. Exactly how his father in heaven, the lawgiver, intended that these laws would be understood and applied. See, Jesus follows the lawgiver first and foremost. The law is not God. The lawgiver is God. And all of these laws from the lawgiver are intended to foster and shape our hearts, who we are on the inside. And so they were missing the intent of these laws. And so let's look today. How did God's people miss God's intention on this one? On, on swearing, on making oaths. I'm going to read it again. Matthew 5.33. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And don't swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. The way they missed the intention here is they wrongly, again, they wrongly understood the point of the law. These, these verses about swearing, about making oaths. Leviticus 19 
God says, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Numbers 30, these are just a couple examples. Numbers, number 30 verse, numbers 30 verse 2, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he should not, he, he will not violate his word. He should do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So God gave this law for shaping their hearts, but here's what they did. They received it with a loophole. Look at Numbers 30 again. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, oh, so maybe there's, an, there's, a, maybe there's a, a, a vow or an oath that's not binding. Do you see that? You know, like, because the, he calls out with a binding obligation. So maybe there's some non-binding obligation. And, and, and we see in the other texts that, like, if, if we do it by God's name, you know, like, we're profaning his name. So, so, so maybe if we leave God's name out of it, there's a way that we can talk uh, that makes us sound good and trustworthy and spiritual and righteous, but we're not bound because, if, if, you know, so we're, we don't really have to go through with it um, because we didn't invoke God's name. Loophole. So they sounded legit but had a way out with that, without technically doing anything wrong. And so, let's swear by heaven. Now that'll make people think of God without actually saying God. Makes us sound really good. Um, let's swear by earth. You know, like this whole creation. Um, that what they're doing is cross my heart, hope to die. Oh, wait in my promise, I just told a lie. It's embellishment. They're adding emphasis, but they strayed from the intent of God's law, which is that we would simply be a people who say what we mean and follow through with what we say. That's the spirit of the lawgiver. That's who God is. When God says something, he means it and he does it. He is not half-hearted about it. He is wholehearted. So, for example, like how does this look in everyday life? Could you imagine going to a wedding ceremony and you come to the vows, right? That's the heart of the ceremony. I mean, this is what the whole preparation and it's all... It's all just leading up to a simple I do or a simple repeat after me of saying these vows. Could you imagine, and I'm sure that people have done it, you know, in places around the world, but what would you think if, if in between the I and the do, they added an expletive or they, or they made some vow like, you know, by my head or, you know, by heaven, Could, in between the I and the do, right? If they added in some other words to just really show, I mean it. It'd just, be, it'd just be weird, wouldn't it? Like, what are you trying to prove? <laughs> what more can you add to these vows? What more can you add to I do? That, that's all we're looking for, do you? you? You don't have to prove it right now. You have to prove it for the rest of your life. And the logic behind Jesus' teaching answers that question. There, there's nothing more that we can add to our commitments. Because if you invoke God's throne, heaven, if you invoke his footstool, earth, if you invoke his city, Jerusalem, it's all God's. 
It doesn't belong to us. We don't have control over it. And if you think you have control over your life, well, according to Jesus, that belongs to God, to God too. Even the hairs on your head. Nothing, that, even the smallest thing in your life, it, it's all his. So, so Jesus is just rationalizing with us and saying, why, why would you invoke these things, give these assurances that you can't, you cannot fulfill these assurances, that it's, it's outside of your capacity. All we should do is all that we actually can do, which is make a decision, yes or no, and faithfully live that decision out. So, so the clear teaching here is that your loophole, our loopholes, whatever they are, it's not legit before God. We're not fooling him, even if we kind of fool other people into thinking that we're trustworthy. Our words and our actions stand for themselves. There's, there's no need to embellish. That's what it means to let your yes be yes and your no, no. And Jesus lets us know that, hey, when, when you're kind of tempted to do that, that's from the evil one. So here's a, here's a quick application. Um, in order to live this out, don't be afraid to take your time making decisions. Now, you don't always have all the time in the world to decide things. And, and this also doesn't mean that you can't change plans once you make plans. But the, the broad application here is we are to be a people known by our faithfulness and not by flakiness. Faithfulness is yes. It's a yes to God and a yes to the people that he's called us to serve and to live with. That's, that's what faithfulness is. It's the yes that's lived out consistently. Not perfectly, just consistently. It is a yes of faith. Not, not faith in ourselves that we can do this, but faith that God is at work and that God, only with, with God's help, with his power, can we move towards this and see it through. Flakiness, flakiness is a yes that just doesn't stick. It's a yes today and it's a no tomorrow. And, and it, that's just the repeated pattern of flaky living. And, and Jesus is trying to teach us this for our good. You know, he's, he's, he knows that living faithful lives is so much more fulfilling. It's so much better for us. Flakiness is disappointing. Flakiness does not build the strong bonds that we need to live this life well. So we're to be known for faithfulness and not flakiness. And when we are flaky, we should not try to cover it up in spiritual words. But we should repent and then be found faithful, move towards faithfulness. So this is a challenge for me, even as I have reflected on this this week, to let every word that I say be a word that I mean. Even in my exclamations, last night uh, we were around the fire and I was surprised and I was like, oh my gosh. And it's like, well, I could just say wow. Like that would, that would better reflect, that would better reflect. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's like, am I thoughtful in my words? Um, can you imagine a world like that? That's, that's the world that we'll be living in one day, in the new creation. And, and don't beat yourself up. Just, just realize, this is what Jesus did to perfection. It's amazing to me. But the perfect one is setting our direction. 
So let's look today at uh, what are modern day equivalents because none of us are taking oaths by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem for sure, right? Most of us aren't taking oaths by our own head. What are modern day equivalents for swearing today? And I think the most uh, close one is spiritual commitments. Saying things like, I will pray for you. Right? Now, if you will pray for them, and then you do pray for them, then that's great. That's faithfulness. But if you say you will pray for someone and you don't, what is that? (laughs) It's flakiness. That's right. If you say, God bless you, in order to give an appearance of spirituality, but you don't even know what that means, or you don't really want God to bless them. (laughs) Uh, You're just saying it because you think it's a good thing to say. You think it'll make yourself look good. That's exactly the same thing. Um, I'd encourage you to pray for people right then and there. Uh, If you want to pray for someone, ask them, can can I pray? And don't make it long. Make it an experience that they'll want to have again. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Um, and, and, and think through, when I say God bless you, what do I really mean by that? And read Ephesians 1, that we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So if we want, if we want God to bless people, we better, we better have some connection that Jesus is the ultimate blessing. It's the ultimate way that God blesses us. And so just, you know, just think about our words a little bit. And, and, you know, don't, don't rush into spiritual commitments, but do so thoughtfully and, and in ways that you can faithfully live out. And again, you can't do it on your own. You, you need God's help to faithfully live your life. So here's, here's another expression of swearing today. Cussing. And here's the similarity between swearing then and what we call swear words now. In both instances, we are saying more than necessary in order to show exactly how much we feel or think or are committed to a certain something. Rather than just state our point, we try to prove it. And I'll just say it for myself. I most often swear silently in my own mind. And, and we got we to gotta remember the context here. Jesus is aiming at people's hearts. Remember last week, it's adultery of the heart to lust so and it's murder of the heart to have that kind of anger built up so so when i'm swearing silently it's out of an extreme feeling of anger normally for me and it is giving expression to that anger and it's a way of overstating it it's a way of embellishing and to let my yes be yes in that instance for me would look a whole lot more like processing it with god even if I'm yelling at God, if I need to create a space <laughs> and, you know, just let God know how upset I am, that's a lot healthier way to deal with that emotion. God is all for us properly dealing with our emotions. He's got a lot to say about that. He's not anti-emotion. And this is all much easier said than done. That's why we need changed hearts, friends, changed hearts insides and not just changed vocabulary changed outsides so 
I know personally some Christians who have objections to what I just said, that swearing today, you know, cussing is, is something that uh, is, is wrong. I just, I just implied that. So I just want to address common objections I've heard. One is, Ben, this swear word, it's just a word. Its meaning is arbitrary. I don't mean it like that, right? It's just a word. It's a conglomeration of sounds. All words are conglomerations of sounds <laughs> with various associations uh, attached to them. Um, so if I say Rachmet, or if I say Danke, unless you know Uyghur, or unless you know German, those sounds mean nothing to you. But thank you means something to you. So yes, it's just a word, and all words have meaning. And meanings of words vary, but don't you see the point Jesus is making? If we are becoming people who more and more speak plainly, then the meanings of words will become plain. People won't be guessing, well, what do you mean by that? Right? Our, our yes is yes. Our no is no. It's, it's plain and it's up front. As we become those types of people, communication improves. And, and that helps relationships improve and be healthier. So, yes, it's just a word, but words matter. The Bible is clear that words matter. So, I'll skip the verses that I had there for words mattering. The second, the second objection that I've heard, and this is the more common one from believers who have no problems swearing, uh, and I'm not trying to play junior Holy Spirit. I just, I just want to start a conversation between you and God if, if this is you. Uh, and I want us to be equipped to just encourage other people to have conversations with God. Is When, when someone says, if, if, you know, if you have this trust relationship where you're able to talk about their, their swearing, and they say, well, I'm free in Christ, um, so I can. You know, there's no problem. I'm free. Uh, I would, you're right. You are. Now go ahead and finish that verse that you started quoting. Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So this is not for me to project onto you, but I want, if you're here and you swear today and you have no problem with, can you stop swearing? Or is this a yoke of slavery in your life? And if you can, can you stop in your mind? Because that's really hard. Once, once these uh, once this language takes root, it, it's hard to stop in your mind. And so if you can't stop, are you indeed living in the freedom of Jesus or are you using Jesus to pursue your own idea of freedom? Is it, is it your freedom or is that the freedom that Jesus offers you? So, so this is Jesus' idea of freedom. It's really clear. Same passage, Galatians 5. This is Jesus' idea of freedom. You can be as loving as joyful, as peaceful, as patient and kind, as good and faithful, gentle, and you can be as self-controlled as you want to be in Christ. There's, there's no law. There's no limit. There's no prohibition against these things. Have as much of that goodness as you want. Right? So freedom in Christ is meant to... Is meant to be used to pursue the things of Christ. And, and there's more that I could swear, say about swearing. 
But I, I want you to hear this loud and clear. I, I pray this week, I've prayed this, and this morning I prayed it again. I pray that we would always have a group of people here who, who cuss, honestly. And I pray that every couple of years that group changes because it's, it, there's an inward transformation of the heart. And I, I pray that we would know, you know, oh, they, they swear because they don't just like keep it in their minds. <laughs> they're like, well, this is me. I'm just going to say it. They, they're free. They're safe enough to be themselves. And uh, we don't try to fix people here. God is the one doing the healing and the restoration. And yes, he does use us, but he uses us as we are loving, peaceful, joyful. Our, our yes should be compelling. Our no's are not compelling to people. When we say yes to Jesus, and when we live out how good that yes to him is, that's what's compelling to people. So I want, I want us to be a people who welcome and, and invite, you know, like uh, people who don't know any better than... Uh, than to live that way and, and that this would be, that we would be a people that sees God change hearts from the inside out. And, and that might raise some reservations in others of our hearts like Ben, I'm uncomfortable being around people like that or having my kids around people like that. We're not called to be comfortable. We're called to be faithful. And if we, if we are a missional community, then we would all identify as those who need a heart change. We would all recognize that the need for change is ongoing, especially as it relates to our speech. Listen to how James puts it in chapter three. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone is never at fault in what they say, he or she is a perfect man or woman, able to keep their whole body in check. This speech thing is, is really, really Impossible <laughs> for us, any of us, to master. And so, so for those of us here who don't even cuss in their head and they're like, man, I'm good. I'm, I'm way better than Ben on this thing. For those of us who don't cuss in their head or swear, are, are you aware of the faults in what you say? And if not, if you're not aware, are you prepared to call yourself perfect? Because here's the rub. If you know you're not perfect, but you consistently don't know how you're not perfect, there's a big problem there. Your yes, I'm not perfect, isn't really a yes, is it? You're self-protecting, using theology to do it. It's exactly what the Jews of Jesus' day were doing. They thought they found a loophole. Our yes should be yes. Our no can be no. This life is possible because of what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection. He is alive today. He is with us today. His power is available to us today. We need only to continually repent and believe. And it's really, t if, if you're in a, in a place of your life right now where you've been making progress and you're encouraged, that's awesome. I, I want us to encourage you and cheer it on with you and be encouraged by that. Just, just always have on your mind repentance and faith is, is always the next step. We're never over repenting 
and putting our confidence in God more and more. So Father, would you show us how our words, they do reveal our hearts. And, and we know that you do this because you love us. And you love us too much for us to keep hurting ourselves and other people and misrepresenting you. We want our yes to be yes, wholeheartedly. We want our, our no to be no. No pretense. And if you're here today and you chose today to follow Jesus with your life, find me or someone you know uh, after the service and tell them. Because we, we all need help in living this wholehearted life. And as, as we reflect and then as the worship team comes up, I, I just want you to take this time to admire Jesus. We all know how hard it is <laughs> to speak and to speak wholeheartedly. Um, but Jesus' yes really was yes. His no was no. So just take this time to admire him.